This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. Everyone and welcome back to Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron. I am joined by my co-host Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi. I'm I'm excited to be here. I think this might be um, our most timely uh, review, as the main show we'll be reviewing today, the Stardom Yokohama show, happened just mere hours ago, and we are hopping on here to review it. So, looking forward to that. A, a true Easter celebration here on Jumping Bomb Audio. I don't know. I can't really tie that into Easter, but I'm trying to come up with a joke, but it, I'll probably just offend everyone. So I'm just going to let it go, I think. Uh, yeah, that is what we're going to talk about. Our main thing. Uh, we're going to talk about the Stardom Yokohama Budokan show. We got, you know, what else Stardom was up to. There have been a bunch of shows that have happened in the last few days, but not all of them have have made it on air yet. But we'll talk about, uh, I know you watched the Oz Academy Corquin last night, right? I did, and I live tweeted about it from our Twitter account, at Audio. See, that's good. That was very good, Taylor. Uh, that's right. My Twitter's at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Uh, subscribe to the show, please. You just type in Jumping Bomb Audio and whatever podcast app you use and subscribe so you get these as soon as they come out, uh, twice a month. You know, to the person who added us, or maybe they added VOW, uh, that was off a week. If you subscribed to the show, you would just know that it hadn't come up yet. So, you know, you'd just be waiting for uh, for next week. So that's my recommendation. If you use the Apple Podcast app, give us a rating and review, a five-star rating and review, please. And if you want to donate to the show, you can do so at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping. Wow, this is, I'm struggling here. Slash jumping dash bomb dash audio well there's no reason to not get right into it so stardom april 4th uh yokohama budokan um what was it called cinderella dream or something like that and uh they had an announced attendance of 1029 which i believe was uh slightly up from their last show at yokohama budokan so uh congrats to stardom on that what were your overall thoughts on the show, Taylor? I actually really enjoyed the show. I liked it more than, um, you know, this is sort of a weird comparison, but I liked it more than their last uh, Yokohama show, which you were just talking about. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good for the first half of it. I was sort of enjoying it, but I wasn't over the top about it. And I think the sort of the last. I don't know, hour or so really brought it to another level for me. And it and it ended up being really a a great show for me. I think it was a show that 
you know, maybe didn't have the pomp and circumstance of, you know, the Budokan show, which was such a big deal and had a huge crowd. But I still think it was a, a very high quality show that I really enjoyed. And it was very easy for me to to get through. It was a very easy watch. I think we're maybe going to come down a little bit different because I was really thinking at the end of this show of like, this is just an entirely different stardom than the one that existed pre-COVID. Just like I think about those shows, like to me, this is pretty comparable to like what they used to do on monthly Coraquins, except that you don't have those, for me, you don't have those high highs of matches. You used to be able to pretty much feel guaranteed you were going to get like a, you know, we're talking about the times when Kagetsu or Mayu were, were the red belt champion. Momo was the white belt champion. You're you're guaranteed a four and a half star match, basically, on any stardom Coraquin. At the same time, the first three matches of the show were usually bad, you know, or like not great. So they definitely have stretched out their the quality of the shows. Like top to bottom, this is a good show. But I don't think they hit those those high highs anymore that they used to. I mean, the last like match of the year level match was probably the um probably going back to the Mayu Iroha matches. I'm sure I'm missing something, but I, I just don't think they get them as often as they used to. Yeah, I would agree with that. Although we have not discussed really, I mean, we sent each other sort of very brief notes while we were watching, but we have not discussed. And from the way you describe it, it sounds like we may have some um, differential on the, on the matches higher up on the card. So I'm looking forward right. to uh, hearing your thoughts and giving my thoughts. Me too. That's what we do here on Jumping Bomb Audio. Uh, we'll start at the bottom. Uh, the very first match, Ahina is back, and she defeated Lady C and Azumi. Uh, she pinned Lady C. So a big win for Hina. Yeah, uh, a big win. I thought the match was, you know, pretty fun. Nothing major. I mean, it is the opening match with, with two sort of younger um, less experienced wrestler. So there's not too much to expect, um, but, a, a you know, decent, perfectly decent opening match. I really actually enjoyed the, the one spot that really stuck out to me was um, I think Hina was sitting in the corner in one of the corners. And I think lady C went to throw um, Azumi or Azumi looked like she was going to go give a drop kick or something in the corner. And she ran up the ropes jumped off and hit Lady C. I thought that was really cool. It really caught me by surprise. Um, Azumi looked good as always. So just, you, you know, your sort of more basic um, stardom opening match than, you know, the high speed matches that they've opened some of these bigger shows, which, which are a little bit more high energy, a little bit more, you know, quality, you know, four star type quality right out the gate. This is sort of a classic stardom opening match. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also was was struck by that Azumi spot you were talking about. But also just, you know, the era that I'm talking about, you would see Hina, Rina, um, Hanan in these early matches. And it was like, it was very bad. And it's like, oh, on this show, all of them were were competent in one way or another. Hanan, I think, has, has probably uh, gone beyond what uh, Hina and Rina can do right now. 
But I'm just, it's fun to watch. Now we're really watching development, right? Because they started wrestling and stardom at like, whatever, three years old. <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, you're seeing them like really like start to grow up and put some things together as wrestlers. I think it's fun to see. Yeah, it's, I always enjoy, I mean, regardless of company stardom or, you know, any of the Joshi companies, really any wrestling companies, I think it's always fun to see people develop um, from sort of starting out as a rookie, you know, as fun as it is to sort of get people jumping into stardom, like your Himikas, your Micas. I think there's something to seeing talent develop from the very beginning. I mean, we're seeing it now with uh, Saida, who's become such a fan favorite. And I think part of that is seeing the development, seeing the growth, seeing the sort of learning process happened. And it's very easy for fans to latch on to people that way. For sure. Although I was, people were talking about Billy Starks the other day, who's an American wrestler, if anybody doesn't know. And I was like, mm, don't really think I would have my 16 year old wrestling. And then somebody pointed out, well, I don't really think it's a problem with like in Japan. I was like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm a huge hypocrite because I watch like whatever the the 13 year old monster wrestle, and I have no uh, criticisms of that. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, second match on the show, we've got uh, second match Momo, as I'm calling her now. Momo Watanabe defeated Mina Shirakawa uh, with the Tequila Sunrise. Aaron, I have to say, I don't know how you felt about this match being a big Momo fan, seeing it, seeing her in the second match on a big show that sort of doesn't have very many stakes. But I really liked this match. I thought it was really, really good. I thought Momo looked really good and clearly was sort of led the match, you know, sort of led Mina through the match, not that she was bad. But I thought she looked really great. I thought she was giving great kicks. I mean, it, I was like a big fan of this match. And for a while, until we got to later in the card, it was sort of my match of the show. Um, I went four stars because I thought it was really good. I thought Momo looked really good. And I thought the match was was really fun. No, I felt exactly the same. I thought it was really good. Um, I mean, it's a bummer for me that she's in the second match on shows where it's like doesn't really mean anything and then goes and sits at commentary for the rest of the show. Very strangely, which I thought, which I guess she did have some involvement, but I thought would mean maybe she was going to do something, but uh, she really didn't. But yeah, like I agree with you that Momo kind of uh, led the match and she was very aggressive, very dominant. Uh, I always talk about, you know, when she's at her best, she reminds me of of her uh, white belt reign and she did that here and then you had mina fighting back i thought very credibly uh i really love that spot where mina had the like leg lock on momo and momo was trying to get to the ropes and mina's got these great facial expressions of like how hard she's struggling to try to keep momo from getting to the ropes but she also i just i love little stuff like this in wrestling she was like trying to grab momo's arms to stop her from being able to reach for the ropes it's just little stuff like that that I think is not only like very helpful to me in my enjoyment of a match, but it shows uh, a, a better understanding of of kind of the I mean, I don't want to fight with people about whether pro wrestling is an art, but, you know, but the performance aspect of pro wrestling. Uh, so I think Mina has shown a lot since she's been in stardom. And I thought this was uh, one of her her best matches uh, in stardom, for sure. I thought it was very good. Next up, we had Sayakami Tani versus 
uh, Unagi Sayaka. Uh, Kamitani won with the Star Crusher, although uh, somewhat bizarrely to me, uh, Unagi kicked out at four. <laughs> I mean, that was my biggest takeaway from the match. And you said she kicked out at four. I think it was less than four. I think it was like 3.2 or something. Because yeah, it, it, I almost I, wondered if she was kicking out for a second. I rewound it because it happened and I went, oh, that was weird. Well, did she kick out before and they and they missed? And it was like missed. And so I went back and it was very clearly sort of one, two, three kick out. And I was, <laughs> it was so confusing. Well, first of all, I hate that spot anywhere. Anytime they do it, they did it in AEW a couple weeks ago and I hated it there. Just because it, I don't, it's so weird to me. In that, I think the argument is, and I don't know what happened. Maybe this was, you know, they were supposed, she was supposed to kick out and she didn't kick out in time and they just called it as a shoot and ended the match because Saya was going to win anyway. But the argument is always, oh, it makes the other person look strong like you, because you kick out as if to say, oh, well, I would have kicked out, but you didn't kick out. You lost the match. It would be like in a game of basketball. If you lose the game by two points and then you go down to one end of the floor and you hit a three pointer, it's like, that's great. But the rules of the game are, you know, you have to kick out by three and you didn't kick out by three. It doesn't matter if you kick out at four, that's not the rules. So I don't know if it, that sort of over my thoughts for the match, because I thought mostly the match was sort of what I expected, which was two sort of, I think, wrestlers that have a lot of potential but haven't really put it together yet wrestling each other. I thought it was fairly good, but I think that there were moments when they got a little lost. You know, there weren't they weren't botching things, but some moves didn't look real clean. Um, so... You know, I was sort of on that wavelength, and then the finish ended, and that sort of took over all my thoughts on the match. Well, she lost all the matches in the in the trial series, right? Uh, yes. So, I mean, I, I guess you could argue they're they're making a story of this is like as close as she got <laughs> because she kicked out. I don't know. It always, I don't like it either. It always reminds me of like um hulk hogan who would like famously do this when he didn't want to lose the match you know so he'd be like i, I would have kicked out you know it's like you just barely beat me you know so i always feel like it's more of like a big time move than it is um helping the other person at all so well uh, yeah i agree thought it was weird and it's so <laughs> it's so funny to me because we've talked about in past weeks about how weirdly this company overuses time limit draws and if the story was going to be well unagi's getting better she's improving through the trial series and maybe the this you know the point of this match is for it to end and to say well unagi's gotten better don't you think she might go to a draw with someone like that seems like a point where you might want to use a draw to get across a storyline of she's improving. She's not there yet because she's not winning the matches, but she's at least going to a draw. She's, you know, staying in the match. She's not getting pinned. She's not 
submitting. I don't know. That that just seems to me it's sort of hard to judge without knowing whether it was a purposeful um, decision or whether it was just sort of accidental. You know, if it was accidental, then all of this is sort of meaningless because the answer is, well, they made a mistake and it shouldn't have happened. Yeah, I just wonder kind of what we got out of this trial series. I mean, I think Unagi has gone beyond what I expected of her in stardom, but she's still not like, I don't think I'd even call her an average worker uh, within stardom. Um, I thought this match was interesting at first because it looked like they were doing a limb match. And I was like, oh, this is new for Kamitani. It's new for Unagi. Unagi was doing a good job of selling it, but then they just abandoned that and moved on to other ideas, I suppose. So I don't know. I just thought it was a really weird match. Next up, we had the uh, elimination match with Oedo Tai and Stars, uh, Rina, Ruaka, Konami, Saki Kashima, and Natsuko Tora versus Goki Kendeth, Hanan, Saeeda, Starlight Kid, and Mayu Iwatani. Uh, the idea here being that the last person eliminated would have to join the other unit. I assumed, Taylor, going into this, that it would be like, you remember the the unit disband match where, where I'm sure you do, where Jungle Assault Nation was disbanded? And uh, I do, yes, I do remember that match. <laughs> it, and in that match, when you got an elimination, you left the match, not the person you pinned or submitted or whatever. So that made more, I thought that's what we were going to get here of like, okay, you pin somebody, you're out. So it's like, in that scenario, you haven't won anything, so that's why you're the last person there. Uh, but in this match, if you pin somebody, they were out. So it, it's like the incentive would be, if you don't want to change units, the incentive is to get pinned as quickly as possible. So I, this the rules here made no sense to me whatsoever. It ended with Saki Kashiba pinning Gokigen Death, so Gokigen... Uh, has to go to Oedo Tai, and they announced that she will now be called Fuki Gendeth, which means something about evil that I can't remember from the Stardom Twitter account. It means it means I think it means like pouting or like being in a bad mood or some or something to that extent. Oh, I typed in Fuki Gen instead of typing in Stardom to go to their Twitter account. But anyway, did I mean to me the rules made the match just very bizarre. Yeah, it is bizarre. I guess the argument would be, like if you had to argue, the argument would be, well, you don't want to lose a member to the other team, so you would try and stay in as long to give your side an advantage to hopefully win and not lose someone. Although I think both teams before the this match happened in promos and things were saying, we don't want anyone from the other team. So that sort of weirdly undercut things because Stars didn't want an Oedo Tai member and Oedo Tai didn't really want anyone from Stars. But I guess that would be the justification would be, well, you don't want to lose anyone, so you yourself want to stay in as long as possible to give your team a, a numbers advantage or at least try and give your team a numbers advantage. Yeah, that makes sense. Um yeah, it's just weird to me um, how it all played out. And it's like, well, then when you get to the end, it's like, okay, Mayu is not joining Oedo Tai. 
Uh, surely they're not just going to send poor Saki back to Oedo Tai. So, or I'm sorry, back to Stars. So it just became very clear where they were going. Yeah, and I think that was something we sort of talked about last week when we were previewing the show was that it seemed like Gokigan Death would be a sort of obvious one as someone who could move without really upsetting the apple cart all that much. And that's what, what ended up happening. I don't know that it's all that great of a... You know, I don't think the match ends and you're like, oh my God, death is going to Oedo tie like I'm, oh, I'm crushed. What will I, you know, I just sort of was right. like, oh, uh, <laughs> okay. You know, and this Oedo tie unit, which we've talked about in the past, it certainly doesn't really help them in any meaningful way. They got essentially the closest thing in my mind to a jobber in stardom at this point because death really very rarely wins um it it just felt like you know we talk about week in and week out oh edotai needs something they need some juice they need this and that and this is like not the thing to do even though i mean i thought the match was fun you know i wasn't crazy about it but i thought it was a fun match i thought it was sort of interesting i thought they did a better job with I talked about the last time they did this, the stars um, cosmic angels match, which had the over the top rule. And I was like, Oh, they've leaned so much on over the top. I think they did a better job with sort of evening that out. You know, Saki once again, strangely pins Mayu and death back to back, you know, getting big, getting some big wins, you know, not death, but pinning Mayu is, is pretty, you know, not you know less major in a in a big match like this, but still you're pinning Mayu, um, but it just sort of ends and you're like, oh, Oedo Tai is either the same or you know slightly down because now they have another sort of very low card wrestler, and then of course as we'll talk about in a few minutes, something else happened and they sort of did a swap of a prominent member of the group for someone who's probably going to be at the very bottom rung of this group. Yeah, uh, just very strange times. This, I guess I was just doing a lot of of uh, reminiscing, and it's like, man, oh, when I got into stardom, Oedo Tai was like the coolest thing in wrestling. <laughs> it was like everybody loved Oedo Tai. But, you know, we saw stardom in New York. You know, Kagetsu was like was the biggest star. Uh, it's just it's amazing how far Oedo Tai has fallen. Yeah, they lost. It's It's that dance. They lost that dance in it all. That's right. That was the beginning. <laughs> got to keep dancing. So glad I got to see the dance in person. Okay. Um, next up, we had uh, the white belt title. Uh, Tom Nakano defeated uh, Natsupoi to retain the white belt. Uh, she won with uh, kind of like an arm captured German. Yeah, I thought this match was good. Um didn't really feel all that strongly about it. It feels largely, you know, I did like the Natsupoi high-speed win at uh, Budokan, but other than that, it's felt largely like Natsupoi's run in uh, stardom and a lot of her run in Tokyo Joshi where I thought it was perfectly good, and other than that, I didn't really feel that strongly about it. I thought it was fine, you know, gives Tama a nice uh, first defense where she's clearly... Um, you know, going to win 
But other than that, I don't really feel that strongly about it either way. Oh, I was higher on this match than you then, because I really like this match. Uh, it reminded me of those of Nats Boy's performances in in those Miyu Yamashita uh, matches. I thought she was good. It was pretty brutal. You know, they were going at each other. It was a little harder to get into because, you know, I always felt like the finish wasn't in doubt, of course. But I thought Nats Boy really brought it here. I was impressed. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, okay. In the Red Belt title match, Utami Hayashishita defeated B. Priestley with the uh, the spinning Razor's Edge type powerbomb that she does uh, and uh, retain the title, of course. Yeah, I thought this was easily the best match of the show. I thought this was very, very good. I went four and a half stars. Um, I just thought it was exactly what I was sort of looking for. It did start, um, started a little slowly, but didn't really affect my enjoyment of it. I just thought it was... You know, once they sort of got into it, it was hard hitting, which I really enjoyed. I think it was well paced. I've had some issues with Utami's um, previous title defenses that I thought weren't all that well paced. That sort of slowed down and became very lethargic to me as it was sort of like you hit a move and then we lie around and then I hit a move and then we lie around. And I just thought. It really drew me in. I bit on the um, on the ocean uh, cyclone suplex near fall that uh, B hit. I thought that, that that was maybe the finish. It was not the finish. Uh, so I just ended up really enjoying it. I thought that they both sort of left it out there, and then it was clear after the match um, probably why B had gone out there and had you know, a match such as this, but I really enjoyed it. Thought it was the strongest match on the card and probably in, you know, if not the top match of stardom's 2021, probably number two behind the um, hair versus hair match from Budokan. Wow. You were very, very fond of this match. Um, I thought it was quite good. I, I mean, this is really where we differ because it, to me, it was probably on the same level generally as the, the white belt match. Um, I probably would go about four on it, uh, too long for me, frankly. And it just had that, the back and forth down the stretch, just too reminiscent, uh, to me of like the, the new Japan style of main events, which I've just, I've grown tired of. Um, but frankly, I have to say that a big thing that probably pulled it down for me was I think I, or I accidentally pretty much spoiled myself before watching this match. Cause I saw somebody referencing what happens after the match. And so I knew that she probably lost then, uh, that being B. So I was, there was really no way for me to buy into the, the ocean cyclone suplex spot or anything like that. But I think generally, I know that a lot of people don't like her, uh, but I think generally B's stardom run gets, uh, severely underrated. Like, when she was the red belt champion, yes, nobody cared. The crowds had no interest in her. She wasn't over, even though she beat literally every person they could throw at her to try to get her over. But she had some really excellent matches. Now you can say, well, of course, she was having matches with uh, Kagetsu and Mayu um, and even Utami before and uh, Momo, you know, et cetera, everybody. Um, but she 
to me, always held up her end of the bargain. So I think there's a little bit of, I mean, you don't have to enjoy somebody if you don't like them. I'm not critical of anyone uh, who feels that way, but I do think there's a lot of personal animosity toward, towards B that gets in the way of, uh, to me, how good of a wrestler she is. Yeah. Um, you know, I have sort of mixed feelings on the whole thing because, you know, I enjoyed this match and there's a number of B matches throughout her time in stardom that I did enjoy. I mean, my thing was less on the sort of personal side, whatever's happening sort of outside of stardom, outside of the ring. And mine was always that I just never connected character wise i mean the whole thing that was running for many months or however long it was of you know momo the number one idiot oh and after every match i get on the mic and i say oh show pie show pie show pie i'm like get another you know it's sort of the difference between a sort of unlikable heel that you're like i want to see this person lose you know, oh, I want to see uh, the the baby face come in and beat her, and someone who you're just like, ah, just like stop, like go somewhere else now. But she's, I mean, I think she's a solid in ring worker, and I'm sure we'll discuss in a in a a minute um, what that means for the future. But you know, I sort of see both sides. I have mixed feelings. I can go either way. So you know, this was sort of a good, you know, the good version of B because I think it was a great you know, in-ring match and it didn't have that sort of ending where you go, oh no, don't, you know, just leave the ring and go backstage and let me enjoy that you had a good match. Oh yeah. I mean, I agree with that. She's super cringe. She always was basically the whole run. Um, you know, so <laughs> it's just, that is what it is, whether you can kind of set that aside uh, or not. Uh, again, not critical of that. It's just like, there's certainly people that I just don't like. And so, you know, or there's something about their character that I don't like. And so it's just impossible for me to invest in their matches. But for whatever reason, I was always able to, um, to enjoy B's matches. Uh, of course, after the match, uh, she got on the microphone and she had made comments before about Otami just being a, a young girl who carried her bags. And she says, uh, you know, you're not just a young girl. You're, you're very strong and then she shouts out Momo and says, yeah, I know I said all this about Momo, but actually uh, you're probably my best friend uh, in stardom, I assume. And then she announces that uh, it will be her last match in stardom. And she seems to imply that she's leaving Japan generally. Yeah, it was. it took me very much by surprise, even up to when B called Momo in the ring. I had assumed something that I was like, oh, she's going to ask for a match or something's going to happen. And then she sort of teared up and I was like, oh, no, this is something, you know, different than, you know, just whatever the next match is. Um, and then announced that she was leaving. It was quite I had not read anything um, before. I was totally unspoiled on the show. So it was quite quite a surprise for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd saw somebody say something like, oh, I guess um, I guess B is done in stardom. And I, so I, I didn't see anything more than that. But, you know, I kind of obviously I knew that that meant she couldn't have won the match. That wouldn't have made any sense. But, yeah, it's very strange. I don't know uh, what's going on with her. Um, it seems that she's leaving Japan, obviously, based on 
what happened in New Japan. It doesn't seem like Will Ospreay is leaving Japan. So I'm not sure. I saw somebody else saying that I'm not sure where they got this, but that she was going back to England. So I don't know. Maybe she's uh, going to wrestle. Maybe she's going to go to NXT UK. Maybe she's going to go to AEW. Uh, maybe she's going to stop wrestling. I don't know. But uh, she will not be in stardom anymore. So we'll probably never have occasion to talk about her again on this show unless she uh, returns to Japan. Yeah, and as I mentioned, um, certainly uh, another blow for Oedo Tai. You know, the, regardless of what you think, if you like her, if you didn't like her, she clearly was positioned as one of the higher members of Oedo Tai, certainly this sort of new Oedo Tai, um, where she was at the top or near the top. Um, so will be a big, um, will be a big hole for them to replace as sort of a solid, um, you know, upper mid card wrestler who can challenge for really any title, um, go out, have matches. So it will be interesting to see what the path is moving forward um, with her, seeing if, you know, Jamie Hayter, is she still out there? Is she doing something with B, you know, don't know. So lots undecided for the future. Uh, and then that takes us into the main event. The goddess of stardom titles were on the line uh, with Micah and Himeka versus Julia and Shuri. And Julia and Shuri win. Shuri pinned Micah, and they are uh, the new champions. Uh, a few things I wanted to say first, Taylor, before you talk about your reaction to the match. The first thing is it clicked with me as this match was beginning that how representative this match was of the change uh, that's gone on in stardom. These are four outsiders, four people who did not come up in stardom, uh, who have all come over from other promotions or as uh, freelancers like Shuri uh, and are now main eventing, you know, a big stardom show. I think that's uh, pretty interesting as far as when you're looking at uh, the change in stardom over time. Yeah, uh, and I thought it was uh, an interesting match. I thought the match itself, just based on the work in the ring, was was good. I gave it four stars. I thought it was exciting. I thought it was a fun match. Now, putting the sort of in-ring stuff aside, I'm not sold on the result. Um, you know, we talked about this when we previewed the show that, you know, Julia loses the hair versus hair match a month ago, pretty much um, one month and one day ago, um, loses the hair versus hair match, sort of comes out, wrestles the opener at the Corican, and now seemingly is, you know, I know the tag titles aren't the top title in the promotion, but she's back in the title picture. And, you know, it was sort of like a, I don't know, you know, it's certainly a fast rebound, but, you know, maybe she loses you know, this match and that's part of the story, but she wins uh, the match. She's a title holder again, one month after, you know, this big sort of monumental match. And I think it drills home something we've talked about a lot, which is that this promotion is really, and I think at this point we have enough examples to say they are incapable of creating stories building connection with characters, um, you know, sort of making things interesting for people without the use of titles. It just seems like this promotion cannot wrap their head around anyone 
doing anything positively, you know, in terms of connecting with the crowd, getting fans excited, if it doesn't involve them having a title, you have the obvious story directly in front of you of Julia losing this huge match at a huge show. She gets her hair shaved. What does that do for her confidence? You know, maybe she's less confident. Maybe she, you know, all these things. She comes out, she starts at the bottom of the card on the Corican, beating death. And you think, okay, she's going to work her way up. And all of a sudden, a month later, and actually less than a month later from that Corican, she's in the main event, winning a title. And that story now seemingly goes away. She doesn't need to work through her confidence issues. She just main evented your next big show and she won. And she beat two people who are quite talented. I mean, on the other end, I'm not crazy about, you know, Himika and Micah who seem to be doing the most amount of sort of yo-yoing through, you know, on these cars where they're in the main event and then they lose and then they go back. Oh, and now they're the tag champions. Oh, and now they're at the top of the card. Oh, now they're going to lose. It just is so frustrating to me to see many other companies. It's sort of an exciting time in Joshi that many other companies now that previously maybe weren't doing a lot of storylines or, you know, maybe had one or two storylines. Seedling, for example, the marvelous Hibiki storyline. We're seeing more and more of these promotions adding these storylines that aren't just person A has a title, person B wants a title. Um, I mean, you look at Ice Ribbon, the Suzu Suzuki story, losing the title and doing this sort of hardcore series, which is really interesting. It just frustrates me to see the biggest company seemingly incapable of really creating engaging storylines without titles. I mean, the one match on this card that had a story and didn't involve titles was the Oedo Tai Stars. And that sort of ended on a shrug with, okay, the lowest member of stars goes to Oedo Tai. You know, it's just sort of like a shrug. And so that really... It's frustrated me for a while, but this is sort of the biggest confirmation of this promotion, just seeing it as a, you're a star, you need a title, you need to be involved in a title. And if you don't have a title, you're just going to sort of hang out somewhere um, down lower on the card. It's even more frustrating because it's with Julia, who they brought into the company and started trying to make a star in a story that did not involve a title with Hanakamura, uh, who also, by the way, is someone who became a huge star in the company without winning the title. So <laughs> at some point, they seem to have known that that could be done. Uh, but I agree with you that it, they don't seem to have that capability anymore. And not only did they not tell us a story of Julia losing her confidence, She's as cool as ever. That's what's insane to me. It's like Julia came out of that match a bigger star than than Tom, which Julia was came, you know, went into the match a bigger star, of course. But Tom seems like an afterthought now. I don't really feel like she's gotten the boost that you wanted to give her by her winning the title for the first time and shaving Julia's hair, overcoming Julia after losing to her so many times and then finally overcoming that. And somehow... Julia walks out with more of the boost uh, than Tom got out of that. So it's very frustrating to me. Uh, Her winning a title again, I agree. I saw a tweet that said Julia's been in the company for 
uh, 600 or so days and has been a champion for 500 or so of them, <laughs> which is uh, pretty wild. But yeah, it's like there's so many more interesting things. You can main event if you're worried about, you know, Julia is our biggest star. You can main event with Julia if you put a nice little story together that doesn't involve the title. You know, so I don't think that's like a business concern. Uh, it's very strange to me. They just, they had this amazing story in front of them. They told the the first several chapters with Julia beating Tom so many times and then Tom finally overcoming her and her having to shave her head. And then they just, uh, they just gave up on the rest of the story. They just, they didn't have any, any other ideas. Yeah. And I totally think you're right about the Tom stuff too, which is, and I'm not saying the only story that they can possibly tell is that Julia loses, you know, confidence and, you know, you know, there's a variety of stories that you can tell out of this match, but I do think it it sort of sends the message that Julia loses this big match and she sort of shrugs and goes, eh, comes back and wins the title. So it's like, oh, that actually, what happened? That didn't even matter. So all of a sudden the bill that you've helped put behind Tom now is sort of like, Oh wait, but we're now being told that that really didn't matter because she's right back on top. And actually she's cooler than before. You know, she's got this cool haircut and she's got, you know, new gear, sort of this army fatigue type gear. She looks really cool and she's really confident and she's teaming with another, you know, Siri, another great wrestler in the company. And it just seems like they had this long-term story and they just were sort of like, eh, we're less interested in that than we are in Julia having a title to ensure that, you know, she has some reason to main event shows and, you know, be a draw for people. So, you know, it's, I don't know that it's the end of the world, but it's a, it's a disappointment to me. And it clearly at this point shows a pattern of, of this inability, as I talked about, I mean, another thing is that elimination match. I thought Konami looked great in that elimination match earlier on the show. She had a great sequence with Hanan. She had a great sequence with Mayu later in the match. And it reminded me that Konami really, you know, turned on Tokyo Cyber Squad during that disbands match. Sort of felt like a big deal for a little while, you know, had a title match at Budokan, which really the result was debatable whether it was in doubt or not, but now just feels sort of like another part of the riffraff of Oedo Tai, and it's another thing where, you know, you try a story that doesn't really revolve around having a title, and it ends sort of with a shrug that you say, well, Konami's sort of in a very similar place as she was before she turned. She's in a unit. She's not leading the unit. She's not at the bottom of the unit, but she just sort of is a number and she can go out and she can have nice um, matches and, and wrestle well. But there's really it feels like there's no momentum behind her anymore that she's just in this group. And that's where she's going to be. But the good news is if you are thinking about shaving your head <clears throat> or any other part of your body, support for Jumping Bomb Audio is brought to you by Manscaped who's the best in men's below-the-waist the, below the grooming. Got tripped up there. Uh, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. But as I was suggesting at the beginning, you can use Manscaped's tools to shave uh, any part of your body that has hair on it. Uh, they've hooked me and Taylor up with 
a bunch of their tools from their perfect package 3.0 kit, which includes the lawnmower 3.0, which you can, you know, you probably don't want to use it uh, below the waist and on your face, but you can pick one at the beginning of how you're going to use it. Uh, Use it for either one. It's got uh, a cutting edge ceramic blade that's supposed to reduce grooming accidents. Uh, In fact, it does reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. So you can feel confident when you're shaving anywhere on your body. It's also got a, a light, an LED light for a more precise shave. But if you order the Perfect Package 3.0, uh, you also get some other uh, things from them. The Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Uh, so that will help you out. The Crop Reviver, which uh, you know helps you if you got uh, a little bit of smelliness going on. It'll revive it, make you feel a little better, smell a little better. Uh, and they also throw two gifts into their uh, perfect package, which is a pair of boxers. Uh, and I believe it says two gifts. There's got to be another. Oh, the bag, the travel bag. So you got to have that. Uh, Taylor, did you get your your uh, perfect package from Manscaped? I did. I got it and I used it all and it was all very good. I was very impressed. Um, the, the, um, the trimming went... Uh, very well. I found that it was, you know, it was, I feel like the, the razor was a good size. Um, it felt like it was well made, but it wasn't overly heavy. It was easy to use. I found the light, the LED light, very useful, um, especially because my bathroom can sometimes be a bit dim. Um, not a lot of light in my bathroom. So that was very useful. And I used all, I used the crop preserver. I used the crop reviver. They're both, they both smell really great. Um, and so I was all about it. Um, I'm actually wearing the boxer briefs right now. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I've forgotten the most important part. I need to say, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20, 20, hmm, 20% off. I'm having a hard time today. Plus free shipping. Just use the code jump at manscaped.com. It's really important way that you can support the show uh, because if you use the code jump over at manscaped.com, uh, you know, they're going to know that our listeners are uh, using the code and that will uh, help us. So we appreciate it. Uh, but I agree with Taylor. It's all very good. Uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. I And I'll tell you this. I had a, a read for Manscaped on a different podcast a long time ago, and they sent me the Lawnmower 2.0 and it was great. But the Lawnmower 3.0 uh, is much better. So I highly recommend going over to Manscaped.com using the promo code JUMP and getting 20% off, plus free shipping. Your balls will thank you. All right, let's get into uh, some of the other shows that happened over the past couple of weeks, Taylor. Yeah, so we'll just cover uh, the other stardom shows very briefly. They had a Corican on March 26th. Uh, the two big notes there, Saeeda uh, defeated Ruaka in a Future of Stardom title match, and the Cosmic Angels retained their artist of stardom titles over Queen's Quest. And then on 328, they had a very stardom traditional um, day and night doubleheader at Edian Osaka Arena 2. In the first show, Natsupoi retained her high-speed title over Starlight Kid. And on both shows, they ran the uh, unit tournament, the one-day unit tournament, uh, and the Oedo Tai team, 
of Natsuko Tora, Saki Kashima, and Ruaka um, were victorious over the Cosmic Angels in the final. That seems to indicate that they may uh, get a title shot at the Artist of Stardom titles. Uh, at some point down the line, I also included, and I just wanted to read this, this was a note from uh, Dave Meltzer in The Observer, and it was very confusing. I don't know, Aaron, if you uh, feel the same way, but I'll just read it. A Stardom ran an afternoon uh, and evening show at the um, smaller version of the Edeon Arena in Osaka. The event was built around a trios tournament. The notable thing is, and I'm sure it's happened somewhere before, but I can't recall anything like this ever, but the afternoon show did 285 fans and the night show did 229 fans. Historically, if you do a one-day tournament, the finals at night usually greatly outdraw the first round. Now, Aaron, am I crazy in thinking the reason the afternoon show did better is because there was a title match on the show? I mean, that seems reasonable to me. Also, it's a unit tournament. It wasn't like a a tournament for, you know, the white belt or something. You know, it wasn't the Cinderella tournament <laughs> where you wait around to see the finals. Um, so, yeah, weird take to me. Yeah, it just really stuck out to me. And I he even mentioned later, and I didn't mention it here because it's later on in the in the information, but he did mention that they had a high-speed title on the first show. And you would assume that a title match and part of the tournament would probably draw over the end of a tournament, which has only happened for one day and seemingly wasn't pushed all that much, wasn't a big deal. It just just smacked me as odd. Um, you know, two small shows. You know, if the first show had done, you know, 800 and the second show did 100, that would be sort of odd to me. But... Um, yeah, yeah the, and these, sort of a strange thing. And these Osaka Day and Night shows usually draw about the same number of fans to both shows regardless. And that's, I mean, we're talking about 55 people or whatever. I haven't been tracking the attendances on these Osaka shows recently to tell you whether they're up or down. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't, wouldn't surprise me either way. If you flip-flop these numbers or the way they were, I mean, it seems pretty similar to what they usually do. Um, Seedling had a show uh, on April 2nd celebrating Arisa Nakajima's 15th year. It was her 15th anniversary show, um, headlined by a six-person tag, all from people um, in her same class from the who are celebrating their 15th year, Dash Chizako, um, Hanako Nakamori. Um, the really only big Seedling news coming out of the show is it was announced that Hanori Hana and Riko Kawahata will be challenging Arisa Nakajima and Nanai Takahashi um, in a tag title match on the April 26th show. It was mostly just a sort of for fun show, not a lot of sort of seedling specific um, plot lines happening, but that was really the one thing that was announced on the show that will affect things going forward. Um, also uh, today on April 4th, Oz Academy had a Corican, uh, a very newsworthy Corican. As I mentioned, I tweeted, uh, live tweeted it from the Jumping Bomb Audio Twitter account. Just some of my thoughts. Uh, both titles, two title matches and both titles changed hands. Uh, Kairi Yoniyama and you, uh, the returning you winning the tag titles from the Mission K4 team of Kakaru Sekiguchi and Kaho Kobayashi 
And in the main event, Sonoko Kato defeating Mayumi Ozaki to win uh, the Oz title in a match that I thought was really great. If you're into the Oz style, if it's a style that you like, that will probably be a match that you will enjoy, and I would recommend you seek it out. If you're less high on Oz, it will probably be uh, a match you will be less high on. It has all the classic Oz Academy uh, style, lots of interference. Uh, at one point, it sort of turned into a chain match as uh, Kato and Ozaki were chained to each other, handcuffed to each other um, with a long chain. But I thought it was a lot of fun, really hard-hitting, and worth checking out. Um, Tokyo Joshi has had a few shows. The 27th saw the return of Maki Ito after her quarantine, returning from AEW. Um, and April 1st was the first inspiration show headlined by a Rina Yamashita Hikari Noah hardcore match. Aaron, did you see that match? Uh, yes, I did. Here's my hot take. Um, I watched that match after I watched the stardom show and th this was the best match i watched today wow <laughs> uh, well it was my favorite match i watched today how about sure that? sure i thought it was i thought it was a fun match i think it did start a little bit um trying to think of what the word was uh timid you know you think of a hardcore match and it's clearly you know that's sort of part of the storyline of hakari noah sort of trying this new style of match but I thought in the end it really came around. Uh, the finish uh, looked really great with uh, Noah getting dumped on those chairs. So I really enjoyed it. Um, I I don't know if it was my favorite match uh, between the Stardom show and this, but uh, a very good match and a very easy watch. Um, the whole show was a very easy watch. If you sort of skip the intro, um, you can get through it in about an hour. So a fun show. Tokyo Joshi also had a show on the third and they had a show today on the fourth, which was a women's only show. And I believe they announced they will be doing another uh, women only show, which is good news that the first one was successful. Um, Ice Ribbon has had um, some busy times. They had a Corican on March 27th. We were hoping to cover it on this show, but it is airing on Samurai on April 7th. So we will talk about that. Next episode, I have managed to somehow stay spoiler-free. I don't know any of the results, uh, which is really great. Pease League, there's been some uh, updates. Two matches went to time limit draws, Yuki Mashiro and Itsuki Aoki. And Rina Shingaki and Bani Okawa both went to time limit draws. So the A block, Yuki Mashiro still ahead at the top of the block with five points, but I believe that um, logistically, she cannot win the block because Itsuki Aoki and Momokogo are both at four points and they have a match together. So if they drew, um, they would all be at five points. Uh, the B block, a little bit more open. Honori Hana still at the top uh, with four points with Rina Shingaki right behind her at three. And then on April 3rd, uh, the newest Ice Ribbon trainee, uh, Budo, which uh, translates to Grape, had a three-minute time limit draw in an exhibition match against Suzu Suzuki. Uh, so lots going on there. And as we'll talk about, some big things coming up 
for Ice Ribbon in the next few weeks. Uh, Diana had another show on YouTube. This was a Oscar produce show, Oscar crisis produce. Um, lots of fun talent, uh, both Joshi and non-Joshi on the show, headlined by Asuka and Aiko Sato against Amy Miura and Hagane Shino. That was a fun match. It's on YouTube, so check that out. Just happening a few hours ago at Corican, uh, Actress Girls had a Corican Hall show. The uh, Spice App team of Mika Ozaki and Tehanma defeated Hikari, Shimizu, and Mari to retain the tag titles. And in the biggest news, maybe one of the biggest news stories of the entire weekend, Saki defeated Miyuki Takase to win the Actress Girls title, ending Takase's 515-day reign. So big news there. Uh, It will be interesting to see where Takase uh, goes from here now that she doesn't have the title for the first time in, you know, a year, a year and a half, uh, almost two years. Marvelous had a show on the 30th. It was on Zyko. Uh, I watched it. It was very easy. Zyko, I really love that uh, pay-per-view provider. It's very easy for international people to buy and watch these pay-per-views. Um, the big match for me on it, Asuka against Rin Katakura. They went to a time limit draw. Um, it was a really fun match, but felt like a match to me where they were maybe uh, holding back for a rematch, which I certainly hope happens. Um, two very talented uh, wrestlers, Hibiki against Maria. Hibiki lost, and it, but it appears that she still wants Dash Chizako in a singles match, so we'll see if that happens. I'm assuming... Coming up soon, we're going to start hearing um, about matches for the Gaia show, which is on April 29th. So it will be interesting to see if that match is included there. Uh, Wave had quite a lot going on. Uh, their newest trainee, Shizuku Tsukata, um, had three matches. One on the 24th, she went to a time limit draw with Yumi Oka. Uh, that was a five-minute time limit draw. She lost to Miyuki Takase on April 1st in a match that went almost 13 minutes, 12.54, and then went to a 15-minute draw against Kaoru on the 3rd. So that's something to keep your eyes on. Um, it will be interesting to see if they're really um, you know, getting behind her. I mean, a 15-minute draw in one of your first matches against a uh, sort of legend like Kaoru, sort of a, bi- a big deal, and it will be interesting to see if she's, you know, Maybe going to get a quick push in Wave, a promotion that doesn't have, you know, a huge roster, and they could really use a, another wrestler. Um, other notes on the first sort of the biggest show for Wave over the past two weeks was the first. Kiori Yonayama retained the Pure J title over Yuki Miyazaki. Um, as Yonayama said, when she won the Pure J title, I believe every singles match she's in now will be for that title. So she retained it there. And Sakura Hirota retained the Regina DeWave title over Sonico Kato in a match. And on the third, uh, Itsuki Aoki and Rin Katakura retained their tag titles against Sakura Hirota and Yuki Miyazaki. Um, and coming to a close here, Chaco Pro had Chaco Pro 100, the two-day event. Um, two really fun Shows, I think the best two matches on both shows on the first day 
Best Bros versus Emi Sakura and Minoru Fujita for the uh, Asia Dream Tag Titles. And on the second day, Mizuki from Tokyo Joshi Pro against Mei Suruga. That highlighted the second day. And their 101 show was a collaboration with Heat Up um, at the Heat Up Dojo, which was another fun show. Um, and then uh, Chikayo Nagashima had her 25th anniversary show. Highlighted for me, my favorite match, Mio Momono, Mei Hoshizuki, Mei Suruga, and Miyuki Takase in a four-way match. Um, I'm not sure if that was um, – it was up on – um, past market, not sure if it's still available, but if it is, I recommend checking it out. A really fun, uh, fun show. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing slab packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, you know, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network all right well let's talk about uh some of the stuff that's coming up in the next two weeks you know some of the stuff we'll talk about on the next show in addition to that uh ice ribbon uh, Coroquin, but we will have stardom on April 10th. They'll be at Coroquin with the first round of the Cinderella tournament. So usually a one day tournament, uh, 
Uh, but this time they are mixing it up a little. And it's, I believe, April 30th is the finals. So a, a big a big gap in between uh, the first round and the finals. What do you think about splitting up the Cinderella tournament? Uh, I think it's I think it's an interesting decision. You know, I'm not necessarily very pro or very anti. I'm interested to see how it goes. You know, usually when you do the one night of Cinderella tournament, it has a sort of rhythm. You can sometimes get crazy results in the first round, you know, matches that only go a couple minutes end with over the top rope stuff because you're trying to fit in all of these matches into one day. You're trying to get, you know, stars out so that they don't have to take pins. So I'm interested. I think the thing uh, I'm most interested in seeing is how it sort of affects the usual rhythm of the tournament. Um, I'm assuming, you know, I don't know, maybe they will still have those quick finishes um, and maybe they won't because now they have a little less matches to get through in one night. They did announce all the participants um, at the Yokohama show. Really no surprises um, in that announcement. It's it's who you would expect, sort of the upper uh, tier there. So it will. The, the most interesting thing for me is to see whether it sort of changes what the Cinderella tournament uh, is. How do you how do you feel about it being two nights? I guess I feel the same. I like it. I like it as a one night tournament. I guess if you're if you're new, if you haven't seen a Cinderella tournament before, it's single elimination tournament. Um, the winner gets a, a tiara and a dress, and they get their wish, which is almost always a challenge for one of the top titles. So uh, Julia is our most recent winner, right? I believe that's correct. Um, and it's usually someone who kind of needs to be elevated like your the five-star grand prix is like one of your top people is winning this cinderella you kind of give somebody a boost uh julia was not who julia is now when she won the cinderella tournament last time so you can kind of expect that uh you also you're going to get you know kind of a weird final or in the past you know you get kind of a weird final uh because as Taylor was mentioning, you're going to get some of the stars out early because in Cinderella tournament, you can also be eliminated by being thrown over the top rope. Uh, so, you know, you're not going to necessarily have somebody in the in the final match um, who's going to be someone you don't want to lose a match. Julia beat Natsuko Tora, I believe. Um, that's correct. Yeah, so that's kind of how it goes. But I love it as a one-night tournament, so I'm skeptical of it but i also hate to be one of those people who's skeptical of something new just because it's different than what i'm used to (laughs) do you have any uh guesses or predictions as to who maybe emerges uh victorious from this tournament well somebody they need to use it to okay if you think about some of the people who are at the top of the promotion. So Julia, Utami, Mayu, um, even Tom, since she's a champion, like you don't want any of those people winning this tournament. It's not going to help them. Um, I could see a, uh, like a Himaka or Micah winning to give them a little elevation. Um, 
nobody else really stands out unless you decide to get behind somebody like Konami, for example. It's like, all right, we're just going to go with Konami. Uh, then you can do that. Um, or even now I'm talking myself into more people. Or if you want to elevate somebody like Starlight Kid or Azumi, you know, where if you want to really get them up to the next level. Uh, but that's kind of the level of person that I would be thinking of. Yeah, I think there's sort of a level, like you said, of the top people who are probably not going to win it because they don't need it. You know, a level of sort of the bottom people who they're probably not looking to push. You know, I'm thinking of um, Fukigen Death. Um, and, you know, people like that who maybe it's not their time yet or that's not their position on the card. I mean, I certainly think Himika and Micah uh, have to be probably one and two in some order. I think you could probably flip-flop them either way. As to favorites, um, you know, I have a, I, you know, I'm sort of interested to see where Azumi Starlight Kid go. You know, Azumi was the high speed champion for a while, and that was sort of her comfortable position. And she lost that title, and it isn't quite clear to me yet what the path for her is, whether they now just are sort of waiting on her or whether they have interest in putting her, um, moving her further up the card. So I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities. And I do also wonder, you know, the first time it being a two-night tournament, whether they do the first round and, you know, we'll be back uh, with another episode before the uh, second round, the finals, it will be interesting to see whether the results of the first round really telegraph who will make it far and who will not, or if they don't, because we've never, you know, they've never done it this way. So um, just something to uh, look forward to. Yeah, it's usually kind of more obvious of who's going to win. Like when Momo won, you know, she was definitely on the, on the path up. I wouldn't say so much with, Arisa, who was not booked that strongly before she won the Cinderella tournament. Uh, but definitely when Hana won and when Julia won, it kind of seemed like the obvious outcomes. So, um, but no, nobody really, I mean, I agree with you that uh, Micah and Himika are probably your top choices, but nobody just like screams out at me. as like, oh, they're about to elevate this person. So this is a good way to, to get it done. Uh, they also... They also have shows on the 17th and 18th. Uh, and yeah, like like we said, we'll be back before that show on the 30th. Yeah, the uh, another big show coming up uh, in the next two weeks is the next Tokyo Joshi Korokin Hall show, still incomplete, uh, which was a confusing uh, name for me because the first time I saw <laughs> the card, it said, here is the complete, still incomplete card. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, they're adding more matches to this card. That's that seems strange because there's already, you know, three title matches. Um, and Aaron, you want to dive sort of deep dive into this as a as another big show, or at least into the sort of uh, the big matches on the top half of the card? Because I think there's some interesting uh, questions about who is going to emerge from this show as the title holders. For sure. Uh, it's kicking off with Marika Kobashi and Sana Shiori versus Moka Miyamoto and Arisu Endo. I'm sure this will be like your your normal Tokyo Joshi Pro opener. Yeah, excited to see more of Endo, who's uh, really impressed. Uh, this sort of a more traditional position for you know a rookie on the card. So I'm interested to see how she does. 
And then another kind of classic second match on a Tokyo Joshi Pro show. Uh, Miyu Watanabe, Raku, and Pam Harujuku versus Yuna Manase, Mahiro Kiru, and Haruna Neko. Yeah, happy to see uh, Yuna back after she appeared on the uh, Seedling April 2nd show. Um, other than that, don't know that there's uh, too much to say about this one. No. Uh, Miyu Yamashita versus Ikari Noah. Just kind of interesting to me, like Miyu's place in this promotion since she lost the title. Yeah, and Hikari Noah coming off of that uh, hardcore match, going right into a singles match with Miyu. Um, I mean, on its face, I would assume that Miyu would win. I think they've kind of put Miyu in this position where she's not hugely high up on the card, but she's still winning. She's still winning matches. She still looks strong um, to me. So it may just be a thing where they're just keeping her down there, you know, giving her wins, sort of keeping her warm until they need her to move back up the card. Yeah, that makes sense. And they're definitely strengthening this roster generally and uh, making it deeper than before. So whenever they decide to go with Miyu again, uh, the promotion will be in a very strong position. Three-way tag match, Yuka Sakazaki and Mizuki versus Shoko Nakajima and Hyper Masao versus Mirai Mayumi and Suzume. Yeah, the first ever three-way tag match in Tokyo Joshi history, which is a very interesting and three... Um, established teams. So I wouldn't be surprised if the winner of this goes on to maybe be the next challengers for the tag team titles. You know, three teams that are already established um, have big wins, especially Yuka Sakazaki and Mizuki, um, previous, you know, prior tag champions. So um, invested in the outcome to see who comes out and maybe becomes the next tag team challengers. Probably kind of depends who's going to win the tag titles, right? Um, who you want to challenge here. Because if you have Saki-sama and Meisa Michelle win, you may not want to start them off with Yuka and Mizuki as your challengers. Yes, that's very true. Although, I guess I also think that, you know, these are all sort of teams that are, you know, I think a lot of the Tokyo Joshi roster is, as we've talked about in the past, but three sort of, uh, more babyface teams, good, you know, on the good side. So I wonder if that sort of, you know, shows the hand, you know, maybe that whoever wins doesn't challenge and we're, you know, reading too far into this. But it would seem to me from the teams that are in this, if you were going to pick any of them, they would probably be going up against Saki-sama and San Michelle. Yeah, I feel like Tokyo Joshi is pretty... I was going to say basic, but I mean it in a good way of like pretty logical. If they have this match, I would assume the winner is going to challenge for the titles next, but we'll see. Uh, the international princess title is on the line. Yuki Kamafuku defending her title against now Kakuta. Yeah, should be a fun match. I think that probably um, I would imagine Yuki retains. I think she's been a good champion and, I don't see a huge reason to change it. Of course, Tokyo Joshi has shown in the past that they can surprise. Um, but, you know, I've liked this sort of international princess flavor, which is sort of the more, you know, the I shouldn't say more, I should say the less established wrestlers, the wrestlers that aren't quite ready, you know, really for the top of the card, but are improving, 
are trying to get there. It's sort of a nice stepping stone, you know, even if they lose, you know, I'm thinking of Mirai Mayumi, uh, her match had a great match and really impressed in that match, even though she didn't win. I think she came out stronger than she came in. And that's really the good use of this title. Buddy, Camille is holding the title on the cover of her new Gravure DVD. So there's no way she's losing. That would be that would be sad if she if she lost it. It would be like the last piece, uh, you know, like the rare thing when they print the you know T-shirts that are like oh champion, and then they don't win and they send them off to you know wherever. Yeah, so she has to win is what I'm saying. Uh, well, but let's talk about who you think is going to be the, the the holding the titles for that potential challenge, the princess of princess tag titles. Uh, Noraka Tenma and Yuki Aino, the Bakaretsu sisters, versus Saki-sama and Mei-san-Michel. You know, I always think when you have Neo Bishiki-gun in a title match, for me, it's always hard to bet against them. I think they have won this before against established tag teams. You know, I think they are sort of a good foil um, as really a rare thing in Tokyo Joshi, which is sort of a more heel um, group. It's very easy to just sort of throw out, you know, sort of teams against them because really any team or most teams in Tokyo Joshi are going to be more on the babyface side. So it's easy to take a heel team and really make them the, you know, the thing to topple. And then you can build someone up and they then when they win the title, it sort of comes across as more than just, okay, these two teams faced off and won one. It's like, okay, these were the bad guys and we overcame them and really gives them a little extra boost when they win those titles. Yeah. And it just feels to me like this team is so hot that it would uh, be a, a bummer if uh, they didn't win the titles here. And I know that we are maybe the lowest people on earth on the Bakaretsu sisters, but I'm just ready to see something else in the tag division in Tokyo Joshi. And then this is a fascinating one. I think the princess of princess title, the main event, Rika Tatsumi defending her title against Maki Ito. I don't know. It kind of always feels like Maki is primed to win the big match and she never does. Uh, and that's like part of her charm. So I hate to get myself worked up for a, an Ito win, uh, but she does, again, kind of like a, what I said about the last match, she does seem hot, like it would be a good time to strike with Maki. But I don't know if it makes sense for her character, so it's just a tough one. Yeah, I totally agree, and part of me wonders, you know, was this the plan? You know, if this was the plan four months ago, they said, okay, Rika's going to win the title, she's going to defend it against Miyu, then she's going to defend it against Maki, and that's going to be part of the story. That's a different... That's something different to, is this just a reaction of she was in AEW, she made waves, she's coming back. This is sort of the chance to strike while the iron's hot, try and get people interested, try to get people to watch the show, you know, to subscribe to Wrestle Universe and things like that. That's the thing I don't quite have my fingers on, and I, but I also think you're very correct in that you know, the whole story is sort of Maki Ito getting better. You know, the, the storyline with Miyu, uh, 
Um, the tag team with me is sort of slowly getting better. And I wonder if her sort of winning the title sort of would be skipping the steps of the story, you know, part of the story, which I would imagine, you know, the part of the story is this person always losing, you know, trying hard, always losing. You would think that there would be a moment when you sort of see it start to get put together. Like, Oh, we're getting wins. Oh, we're doing this, you know, we're building momentum and then we get a title shot and then we win. That seems to me the most sort of logical story. But again, as I've said, you know, the Rika Tatsumi win sort of set up this expectation of the unexpected that I don't think we expected her to win the title and she won. So it gives really every match that she's in this unpredictability. So I could see Maki winning. I could see them saying, hey, let's strike while the iron's hot and maybe they get the advertising out there and... Lots of people are watching Wrestle Universe and she wins the title and they're building momentum. I mean, I could see that as a thing and a reason to put the title on her, but I don't know from a storyline point, sort of the natural self-contained Tokyo Joshi storyline, moving aside any of the AEW stuff, if that's really where it's going at this point. Yeah, it's like I'd like to see Maki beat Aja Kong. I'd like to see Maki beat Miyu Yamashita. Um, before she can win the title. On the other hand, she's this very popular character, and certainly it would bring eyeballs uh, with Maki being the champion, and she's just been introduced to a new audience. So it makes all the sense in the world to me. Plus, Rika Tatsumi is not Yuka Sakazaki or even Mizuki. You know, it's like someone that you can imagine Maki Ito beating. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel as as big of a win and i don't mean that as a slight to tatsumi but just you know her character i think is not as well developed um as some of those other of the top women in the promotion so i I still think it could make sense it's just i don't know what maki ito looks like as a winner you know as like a champion Uh, that would be a, a big change for her character and something she'd have to be very careful with to make sure that it that it worked with what she's been doing yeah, and part of me thinks, well, it could be a sort of transitional champion idea where she wins and maybe in her first defense she loses and it's like, well, you you did it, but you couldn't sustain it. But then my thought would be that that's almost the position of that I thought Rika would be in, that maybe Rika loses it to someone like Mizuki and then Mizuki and Yuka Sakazaki sort of have that rematch. They build to a rematch of their great match from last year with the roles reverse, which is sort of a classic uh, wrestling idea. But then, you know, do you drop it from Rika to Maki and then it's sort of more cloudy? Um, you know, I don't think either way, if Rika retains, if Maki wins, there's neither outcome. I would say, well, that doesn't, really make any sense to me. I think I can see a path forward for either of them, but I think the winner will clarify sort of where Tokyo Joshi's head is at in terms of what they're trying to do. Yeah, it definitely starts to get um, 
starts to be a tough line to walk if you have two champions in a row who lose very quickly. You know, I would worry about that because this title has been very well protected um, and built and maintained in the history of Tokyo Joshi. So you have to be careful with that, but there's certainly a way you can do it that it works. Yeah, and I mean, I think that at the end of the day, Tokyo Joshi's hope would be Maki Ito brings these people in, they try and watch a show, and and they are brought in not just because Maki is the champion, but because they see sort of this whole world and this whole group of people, and maybe they go from being interested in just Maki to, you know, identifying with you know, whoever on the card um, that they see in any of these matches. And hopefully that's the way in. And it isn't an all or nothing, you know, Maki. If Maki's not at the top of this company, then people aren't interested because if that's the case, then you're operating on a thin margin anyway, where the minute she loses, people may check out, you know, whether that's in a month or six months or whatever it is. So that's a different issue. Indeed. Uh, but that's the Tokyo Joshi Pro Show. That'll be on 417. Uh, it's live on Wrestle Universe, right? So, yeah. So we will be uh, we will be covering that uh, certainly on the next show. Absolutely, um, as that will be happening just before we record, just like uh, today's Stardom show. Um, It'll be, be very fun. easy for you to watch so, to watch along. So yes, that'll be fun. All right, what else is coming up over the next couple of weeks? So Sendai Girls has a few shows. Uh, on April 11th, they have a fun uh, Dash Shizako versus Kaho Kobayashi match. And then they're doing a lot of these Road to Gaeism matches. I'm hoping that by the time we record next, hopefully we will have a card for that show as that's a fairly major show coming up on the 29th. Uh, Ice Ribbon has a few shows coming up. They have a Peas Party. 70 on April 7th, and then they have Ice Ribbon um, 1109 in Skip City on the 11th with two title matches. The first, a Fantast Ice title match with Risa, Sarah, and Thecla. The rules are first to three points, you get a point for um, bloodying your opponent, a point for a pin, and a point for a submission. Now you have to do, and the first person to three wins, but you only get one point for each thing. So if you pin someone four times, it's still only one point. It counts as you pin them. Um, There's no rope escapes, and they can use weapons. The, The official rule is use of weapons other than weapons that the referee considers to be particularly dangerous. Um, If time runs out, the person with the most points will win. If they're tied, they'll go to overtime, and the first person to get any of the points will win the match. Also on that show is a tag title match, um, Mayuki and Micah Ozaki against the former champion drop kickers of Tsukasa Fujimoto and Tsukushi um, will be on that show. Diana has a big show coming up on the 18th at Kawasaki Colts, their 10th anniversary show. Uh, big match. For Mr. Aaron Bentley, Luminous will attempt to get their tag titles back from Ayami Sasamura and Rina Shingaki in a tag title match. And the yes, main of the frauds will be dethroned. <laughs> the true champions will be returned to glory. And 
Uh, Ayako Sato will defend her Diana title against Kyoko Inoue in the main event. So that should be a fun show, a, a big Diana show comparatively. You know, usually the shows we talk about on here are at their home dojo, which is pretty small, only a few people. Uh, Jaguar Yakota has a 45th anniversary show coming up on the 11th that will have a lot of talent. And then Chaco Pro will be uh, continuing their season six and coming to the end of season six. Um, they have a show tomorrow, Chaco Pro 103, which will be main evented by Maestru against Antonio Honda. They will then have three shows next weekend on the 10th, 11th, 12th. The 10th will be back at the Heat Up Dojo. And then two more shows on the 17th and 18th and the 18th, the show on the 18th, will be the season six finale. So lots of shows for them and lots of shows for um, all the Joshi promotions in the next few weeks. A lot of exciting shows coming up. What's funny, Taylor, is there are weeks when we're like, we don't have a lot of stuff. We should take questions this week. And then the show ends up going like two and a half hours. And then now it's like, oh, this would be a good week to have some questions maybe. (laughs) I don't know how long we've gone, but it's a pretty short show, I would say. So... We never know. It's always hard to tell. It is hard to tell. Uh, you just don't know what we're going to get uh, fired up about. Uh, it was just, you know, we we let off with the stardom show. mostly talked about that. And it was just kind of like a good show that was easy to watch. Uh, there wasn't anything that, I mean, we talked at length about, you know, the Julia stuff. But there wasn't much else that really got us fired up, I don't think. Or like was particularly uh, either offensive or like really exciting about it. So I wish I'd had some more advanced notice of the B Priestley thing. We could have talked, maybe we could have dug more into her, her stardom run, but uh, no such luck as they did that right before we were about to record. So that's just how it goes. Yeah. Unlike, uh, unlike TNT uh, stardom likes having surprises on their show. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. You've nailed it. All right. Well, is there anything else you think we need to cover Taylor? No, I think we got it all. Yeah, he did the line. All right, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating and review if you use the Apple Podcast app. Uh, you can donate to the show at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. And you can support the show by going to manscaped.com and using the code jump for 20% off and free shipping. So I guess that's it, and we will see you uh, in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye.